You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning. It's Tuesday, January 21st. You're listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. I'm Trey Scott. In just a minute, I'm going to bring in 24-7 Sports National College Football writer Chris Hummer to break down the winners and losers from the NFL's early entrant deadline, which was yesterday. But before then, I think I should get to the story of the day right now, and that's that Houston quarterback transfer De'Eric King is headed to Miami. If you had told me this a week ago, I'd have been like, why Miami? Because, well, they're not a contender. And I thought Derek King and wherever he chose to go to school was going to have a massive impact on the 2020 college football season. No offense to Manny Diaz, but Miami's not a national player right now. But Oregon and LSU did not jump in on King, who was also considering Maryland and was supposed to visit College Park this weekend, but canceled because he loved Miami so much and was having so much fun on his visit. And I I get it. So the question now, can he lift Miami to the top of the ACC Coastal. I don't say the ACC because Clemson looms, but the ACC Coastal? Maybe. King's pretty good. He's an electric dual threat type who accounted for 50 touchdowns in an injury-shortened 2018 season. And you remember 2019 was stunted a bit too, but we'll get to that in a second. King's going to be a great fit for new offensive coordinator Rhett Lashley's up-tempo attack. If you watch any of SMU football in 2019, you will agree with me. I cannot wait to see what happens on the field in Coral Gables. I can't wait to see what this means for the rest of the quarterbacks in Miami's room. Jaron Williams and Cozy Perry and Tate Martell. Dun, dun, dun. They could all transfer because of this. They could all transfer by the time you're listening to this podcast. This could be a mass exodus of Miami, a failed Miami Hurricane quarterbacks. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see in the future how many players follow King's lead. And what was his lead, right? Play four games, realize your team isn't contending, take the red shirt, jump to greener pastures. In 10 years, when we talk about the transfer portal, when we look back and talk about it in its infant stages, we will mention Derek King in the same breath as we mentioned Kelly Bryant. And while the impact is similar and the trailblazing status, trailblazing, if you will, status is similar, it's entirely a different situation. King was not a newly minted backup who lost his job to a true freshman quarterback. He was Houston's best player, and he stopped playing midseason to go somewhere else. Sure, it's worth noting he did not officially enter the transfer portal until last week. He did not officially announce that news until during the national title game last Monday. But anyone with a brain could have told you that the writing was on the wall. Houston said it as much as they wanted to. Derek King's going to be a part of this team. Derek King's going to be a part of this program. No way. We all knew Derek King was going to leave. And he did. All right, so I'm going to bring in Chris now. And speaking of Miami, he's got them as a loser as far as NFL underclassmen declarations go. He's got a few winners, got a few losers. But King's obviously going to be a nice jolt for the Hurricanes fans. So Miami fans, if you're listening, this is a good news podcast. This isn't a bad news podcast. And 
after we talk to Chris, stay tuned because I've got a few more newsy notes and I have not forgotten about you, Felipe Franks. Chris, the deadline is passed. We know who's going pro. We know who's not going pro. As you look at schools and what they gained and what they lost, who won here? Yeah, um, Alabama is kind of an interesting case. I think when you consider they have five players that are likely going to be first-round picks leaving from the team, it sounds ridiculous calling them a winner. But I could make a strong argument Alabama was the biggest winners of anybody kind of in the underclass underclassman decision kind of vein. Um, they bring back Najee Harris, a five-star back, their leading rusher. Devontae Smith, their leading receiver. Alex Leatherwood, a potential first-round tackle, and he could have potentially been a first-round tackle even if he had left. And then Dylan Moses, who um, missed the season with an ACL tear, but was kind of considered a top 15-like pick, kind of all like leading into the season. So those four together kind of create the foundation of the next Alabama contender. Um, the three offensive players certainly help stabilize an offense that's going to have a new quarterback, no matter who that is. And then Dylan Moses is that missing piece that Alabama's defense desperately needed this past season. Having those four guys come back is bigger than almost anybody kind of in the country in terms of what they're returning. That's It's huge for them to get four potential first-round guys to return to school. Yeah, so um, I'll t- I was going to cut you off and, and throw another winner here, Clemson with Travis Etienne in the mix. And it's interesting when you talk about winners and you I look at your list, you've got two top three teams here with winners. And we've seen these teams, Alabama, Nick Saban, and Clemson and Davo Sweeney, bring back guys before. And that's got to be a culture thing, right? I mean, Clemson's defensive line two years ago, three years ago when they decided to come back, the power Rangers and then Alabama, this isn't, this isn't, this is old hat for, for Nick Saban, Jonathan Allen, Ryan Anderson a few years ago. How much of this do you think is, of course, players want to come back and increase their draft stock, yada, yada. But how much do you think of this is, is culture based? I mean, I think it's certainly culture-based. Like Clemson, you can go all the way back to like Taj Boyd and C.J. Spiller. Both of those guys came back to school when it was kind of a surprise. So like this is something Davo's done for a while. Um, I I would lean on my own like kind of experiences, but growing up watching Texas, like Mac Brown almost always got his players to come back to school. It helped kind of fuel that run that Texas had in the 2000s. And Alabama's long been a place where like Nick Saban tells and advises his players if they're not first round picks to come back to school and we've seen that um pay off in the past i remember jonathan allen um the defensive end who i believe in 2016 was maybe the best defensive player in college football opted to come back and made himself into a top five pick so we we've seen it time and time again all all, there are always exceptions but i think those elite programs that put players in position to play elite competition can sell them on value and the potential to increase their value with additional reps. And Clemson and Alabama have done that as well as anybody the last half decade. Yeah, Jonathan Allen was probably the best player in college football in 2016. He really turned himself into a first-round pick that season, was drafted number 17, I believe, by the Redskins, only because of injury concerns. But I I think if it wasn't for such a great senior season he had that year in Tuscaloosa, he would not ever have been a first-round pick, given those injury concerns. Chris, does Oklahoma State, with the return of Nat Nation's leading rusher, Chuba Hubbard, and, and Tylen Wallace, a superstar receiver, do they have the bones of a Big 12 contender? 
I think they have the bones of a college football playoff contender, like a dark horse at the worst. Um, this is a team that's wow. returning. Yeah, like this offense, like led by those two plus Spencer Sanders, their redshirt sophomore quarterback, when healthy, that offense is going to be as good as anybody in the country. It always is under Mike Gundy, uh, no matter who's the offensive coordinator. Obviously, Sean Gleason moved on. And uh, their wide receivers coach, uh, Dunn, one of the best recruiters in the country, is now the OC. But that offense is going to be good. And then Jim Knowles' defense returns nine starters. So this Oklahoma State team with a pretty friendly non-conference schedule, in my opinion, is right up there with Oklahoma and Texas as co-favorites in the Big 12. And I think when you're a co-favorite in the Big 12, you're a legitimate college football playoff threat at the worst. I look at Oklahoma State a lot. It's like very different teams, but... They're kind of like a Utah from last year, a team that we thought could maybe make the playoffs, maybe make a run if things break right. But I think in a lot of ways, this team is more talented than that Utah team. Oklahoma State's legit. We're about to get on to the losers, but Chris, who did Stanford and Florida State bring back to make you call them winners? Yeah, if you would have told me three years ago Walker Little was only gonna was going to be back for senior season of college, I would have laughed at you. But uh, their star left tackles back after an injury cost him most of the season. And same thing with Paulson and Debo, who is an elite corner, a potential first or second round guy. Um, they're going to anchor Stanford next season. Uh, Florida State's really going to benefit from the return of uh, Tamar on Terry, um, a thousand yard receiver from the season. In addition to Marvin Wilson, um, who is going to probably be the best interior defensive player in college football next season. He's in position to kind of have a Derek Brown like rise as a senior a guy who could kind of uh, move himself from a late first-round pick, early second-round pick into the top 10 with a strong season. So Mike Norvell got a pair of pretty big wins there. You, I was I was thinking Derek Brown the same thing. We were all shocked last year when he came back to Auburn because he was a first-round pick, right? And you say, don't turn down first-round pick money. But top 10 pick is a lot different than later the first-round pick. So that's a good comparison. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. As we move into the winners or the losers, you kind of have a split here with Georgia. So I want you to walk me through why the Georgia Bulldogs are at one point a winner, but also kind of a loser. Yeah, Georgia's Georgia's an interesting case, and you can split it kind of right down the middle. Their offense, they lost, and their defense, they won. Defensively, everybody who was on the fence is back. That includes a guy like Richard McCount, their star safety, Monty Rice, their leading tackler, Eric Stokes, one of their standout corners all returning to school, all are going to help anchor what will probably be a top three defense in college football next season. Great news for Georgia. Offensively, it's a completely different story. Um, Jake Fromm was like kind of back and forth on the fence about his decision. If you had told me four weeks ago Jake Fromm was going to return to school, I wouldn't have batted an eye. He decided to leave. Can't blame him, but it certainly hurts Georgia, even with Jamie Newman coming in. Um Three of Georgia's starting offensive linemen are gone. One of them, Andrew Thomas, is not a surprise at all. Their left tackle. You could kind of just checked him off before the season even started. He's going to be a top 15 pick. But they lost Solomon Kendi and Isaiah Wilson, um, their right tackle. That really hurts when you kind of also consider Cade Mays left the program. Not NFL draft related, but still left. And then DeAndre Swift is gone as well. Not a, not a huge surprise on his end. But almost everybody who could have left for Georgia offensively is gone. And almost everybody who could have come back for Georgia defensively is coming back. So it's kind of a, it's an interesting dichotomy for Georgia heading into the 2020 season. Yeah. And I'm sure given what they were going to be good at next year and bad at next year, they probably would have liked a little bit more help offensively and could have weathered some defensive attrition because they're going to be loaded on defense either way. It's Georgia losers, LSU. This is obvious. They lost nine underclassmen. And when you combine that with what else they're losing, Joe Burrow, Joe Brady, Dave Aranda. This is pretty tough, huh? Yeah, it's kind of, it was crazy just watching the pieces kind of fall off the national championship team one by one in the days after the title. Like some of them aren't surprises. Caleb on chase on and Grant Delpit and probably even Clyde Edwards Hilaire were always going to go to the NFL, but seeing a guy like Shadik Charles or left tackle or Lloyd Cushenberry, their center leave early. It's kind of surprising. It's really surprising to see Patrick queen and Jacob Phillips. their kind of middle linebackers leave early for school. Neither one of those guys are going to be first-round picks. But, I mean, when you win a national championship, what more do you have to prove? You might as well strike while the iron's hot. Um, the only, the two main guys they brought back that kind of were on the fence were Jacoby Stevens and Kerry Vincent. Neither one of those guys really should have been exploring leaving early. So almost everybody that LSU lost, that could have lost, is gone. And they're going to look a lot different uh, when we kind of see LSU again and probably week two against texas this team is com- gonna like completely kind of uh be reshaped heading into 2020 yeah we still have to see what they do at coordinators too so this is going to be fascinating we'll see if they avoid becoming like a 2010 auburn type team chris baylor was on the verge of a college football playoff not only did they lose their head coach but you've got them listed as a kind of a loser of the nfl draft declaration deadline yeah, it's tough. I mean, calling people losers is always tough in this situation, but Baylor did lose a couple guys who could have easily come back to school and Grayland Arnold and uh, 
James Lynch. Graylin Arnold was their uh, best kind of defensive back. He had six interceptions this past season. He's a he's a pretty athletic guy. Kind of he's not freaky, but he's an elite kind of athlete at the position. I think he'll test really well, and he might end up going higher in the NFL draft than I expect. But he wasn't a guy who's considered a first or a second round pick. James Lynch is kind of a different story, kind of an all-American defensive tackle. He was the Big 12's best defensive player this past season. You could argue he was probably the Big 12's best overall player this past season. Um, He was a huge impact guy. There were kind of rumors that if Matt Rule came back, James Lynch would have come back for his senior season. Um, But both Arnold and Lynch declared for the draft, I think, two days after Matt Rule to Carolina was official. So losing those two is a pretty big blow for a Baylor defense that will only return three starters. Obviously, defense is Dave Aranda's specialty, but he'll be working with some pretty inexperienced pieces heading into next season. It looks like Miami is going to once again be hitting the transfer portal. But as far as underclassmen, what do they lose here to have you to list the Hurricanes? Yeah, it's kind of like it's really weird to see a six-win team lose four starters um, to the NFL early draft deadline. But that's kind of what happens. Um, DJ Dallas, the running back, is off to the league. He averaged six yards per carry. Can't blame him, but these losses kind of pile up over time. Jonathan Garvin, their second-best pass rusher, nine tackles for loss is gone. Um, Trajan Brady, who was an all-ACC uh, quarterback, cornerback, is gone. And arguably the team's most talented receiver, Jeff Thomas, who was kind of up and down throughout his career, but also really explosive with the ball in the open field, is gone. I don't think any of those losses cripple Miami on their own. But when you're kind of trying to when you're trying to drag yourself from kind of the depths of mediocrity, which is what Miami is right now, it's a very average program. Losing depth like that, especially talented depth, really hurts as you try to climb up and Manny Diaz tries to climb up in year two of his tenure. So I think all four of those losses really do hurt the Hurricanes. It's interesting. I had no idea even that DJ Dallas was going to the NFL. I guess it makes sense. You look at, we thought this was going to be a loaded 2020 NFL draft group for running backs, right? Because we thought Travis Etienne and Najee Harris and Chuba Hubbard were going to go pro and none of those guys did. So that's why their teams are listed as winners. But after you get, so now after you get past the elite the upper crust of Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins. I think I'm forgetting somebody too. It's it's DeAndre. Swift. I was reading DeAndre Swift. Yeah, for Georgia, there's gonna be a massive drop off. I guess A.J. Dillon sort of straddles the middle tier. So a D.J. Dallas, maybe he he goes from I don't know sixth round or fifth rounder to he moves up a slot. I don't know, but it's gonna be interesting to see the effect, the market effect. Of, of a Najee and an ETN decision and how that's going to swing not only the 2020 draft, but the 2021 draft as well. Chris, your last loser here. <laughs> I, it is funny that we're calling them losers because, I mean, it's it's a great thing when you're, when you're sending guys to the NFL because then you can brag about that in recruiting. But you've got the Iowa Hawkeyes, suffered a few losses. Yeah, I was, a, I was kind of an interesting case. I feel I was like long been viewed as a developmental program. It's a team that NFL teams really love to scout and they really appreciate. Um, but the last two years, actually, they've been kind of hit by underclassmen declarations. And like like you said, lo- loser is kind of a tough word. Like it's a good thing when these players develop in that way. But last year, they lost three players early to the NFL draft. Pretty unusual. Two first-round tight ends, plus Amari Hooker, uh, kind of an elite safety in the Big Ten. This year, they're losing four players to the draft early. AJ Espinenza and Tristan Wirfs are kind of expected those two are first round locks. You can't really kind of parse that one way or the other. It's hard to dock a player with that upside for leaving. But they also lost um, safety Geno Stone and running back Torian Young. Stone particularly is kind of a surprise. Not really a surprise. I think he was leaning that way the whole time. 
but he's not going to be a first or second round pick. He's a mid round guy. And he would have been kind of the anchor of the defense next season, or at least the secondary. So for the second season in a row, I was replacing kind of their like leader of the secondary at safety. And then Torin Young is, I mean, his, his impact is lesser. Uh, he was behind uh, two underclassmen on the depth chart already. Like he was a guy that was probably going to transfer out if he wasn't going to the league. So that that's understandable. But like when you kind of, it's tough to find losers in these situations because it's great to see these guys kind of live up to their dreams and go to the NFL. And NFL teams and college teams will sell these guys on the trail. But Iowa is losing a ton, and it's pretty unusual for Iowa to even be in this situation back-to-back years. So on one hand, as you said, it's credit to Iowa, but it's also going to be tough to kind of replace these guys heading into next season. Yeah, that 2017 recruiting class for Iowa, Epinesa was a top 10 player in the top 247. He was a lock five-star. And then Tristan Wirfs was an Army All-American as well, who the top 247 had as the number 15-rated offensive lineman. So I guess back when you're recruiting like that, you you sort of expect these these things to happen. I think Iowa's losses are the guys who were surprises, as you mentioned. So we'll see. One of the defining things of college football is is how these schools replace these players and a few years ago, I guess the best example is Alabama loses Deron Payne and all everything defensive tackle right up the middle for them, and we wonder how they're going to replace them. And in comes Quinn and Williams, who nobody had really been talking about, and he blossoms into a, the number three overall pick. So yeah, you never I, know. huh? I would say the difference between Alabama and Miami the last decade or so is Miami has these players pop up as NFL draft picks. Alabama consistently replaces them. Teams like Miami have struggled to, which is why, in a lot of ways, a loser like Miami in this situation might be in a lot more trouble than somebody like Iowa, which is consistently kind of developed and maintained uh, over the years. So that's just something to watch out for in that losers group. All right, good stuff from Chris. You can find his article live right now on 247sports.com. Okay, so I teased Felipe Franks' destination before we jump to Chris. He's going to Arkansas. Big SEC interconference move. He's uh, visited Fayetteville this weekend. He's enrolling immediately. Going to go through spring drills. He's going to be Arkansas's starting quarterback in 2020. Arkansas started six quarterbacks last year in Chad Morris's final season. Felipe is going to be the guy for Sam Pittman. I thought he was poised to have a massive, massive 2019 year for Florida. And they got hurt. And then the Gators found something in Kyle Trask. But... Franks, Franks is a good player. Six foot six, massive arm, just might have one of the strongest arms in all of college football. So I think, you know, who knows how good Arkansas could be, but this is a guy who threw for 24 touchdowns with six interceptions in 2018 when he was healthy. This is a big get for Arkansas. Like look at the transfer quarterback market right now. Who's left Chase Bryce from Clemson. You've got the guys who went places. You've got Derek King goes to Miami. They could be a contender within their own division. You've got Felipe Franks going to Arkansas. They're not a contender. You've got Jamie Newman from Wake Forest was a shocking decision to transfer from Wake Forest. He's going to Georgia, which is a playoff slash national title contender. So you've got sort of like three levels of destination. I think Felipe Franks wants to go to a slam dunk place where he's a day one starter to prove himself to an NFL audience. I think Derek King wants to do a little bit of both. And I think Jamie Newman, of course, wants to prove himself to an NFL audience, but I think Jamie Newman wants to compete for national titles. Got some more news. Ohio State is bringing back old coach Kerry Coombs 
to be its co-defensive coordinator with Greg Madison. Kerry Coombs was a staple of Ohio State's coaching staff during the 2010s. From 2012 to 2017, he was their defensive backs coach. And how about this for a stat? Every starting Ohio State cornerback in his tenure reached the NFL. Coombs was most recently, and as of yesterday, with the Tennessee Titans, who lost in the AFC Championship to the Kansas City Chiefs. Got some more defensive coordinator news out there for college football Blue Bloods. The USC Trojans have ended their long search for a new defensive coordinator after firing Clancy Pendergrass. They're hiring former Texas defensive coordinator Todd Orlando as their new head man on the defensive side of the ball. Orlando was slated to join the Texas Tech staff as associate head coach, but obviously a lot of land called and had a much better job to offer to him. So first obstacle for him will be Alabama in week one. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, how about leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast? For Chris Hummer, for Connor Tapp, for our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Trey Scott. We'll see you on Wednesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. on Paramount Plus. You're ready, Bob. Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.